Hey friends, welcome back. Today we are talking about nine essential music rehearsal markings to help you learn a song quickly and accurately. When I am directing a song, when I'm music directing a show, I have very specific things that I want the singers to write down in their score. Sometimes it's a matter of circling what's already on the page, but a lot of times there is additional information that a music director needs to give to you. So today we're going to talk about those pieces of information, those nine elements that you need to be listening for and writing down in your, um, right on your sheet music. Then when you go home and you're using your rehearsal recording and you're learning your part, you're also practicing the stylistic elements, not just the notes and the rhythms. All right, that's what we're getting into today. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studying the Song, a podcast to help musical theater actors figure out what to sing and how to sing it so that you shine in your audition, one-woman show, or leading role. My friends, talent and passion are only the beginning. I believe there is freedom in preparation. I believe that when you put in the work, practice the skills and do the research, something amazing happens. You become so prepared in your craft that you become unstoppable. In this podcast, I wanna give you the tools and skills to create a powerful audition book that showcases your artistry and actually gets you work. I want you to feel totally at home reading the musical score of a show, and I want to help you define your unique artistic voice. Consider me your own personal vocal coach in your earbuds, cheering you on and bringing you the reality checks you need along the way. I'm Corey Yamaoka, and I'm so excited to be walking this journey with you. Let's dive in. Hey, all right, so let's get into these nine essential music rehearsal markings. These are the things you need to be writing right onto your score, right onto your sheet music, so that when you sing it back, you're singing it back with the right style, um, with all the right specifics that your music director has given you. Um, We know that music rehearsals are more than just recording your part. It's more than just learning melody and rhythms. And we need a vocabulary and we need a way to write down all of the additional things. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. So I'm just going to dive right in. Number one, the very first thing. Oh, and these are not in specific order. Sort of generally, I do these, the early ones first and the other ones later when I'm music directing, but... These are just in a random order. Number one, breath marks. When you are looking at a piece, a lot of times breath will be implied because there will be a rest written in or you'll have several bars of rest between musical phrases. But that is not always the case. Sometimes you're sustaining you know, a phrase, a half note, a whole note, and then the very next phrase begins without a rest and without any specified breath mark. So what you need to be listening for, when are you supposed to be breathing? When does the music director want you as an ensemble to be breathing? If you are a soloist, you have a little bit more leeway. You still need to have that discussion with your music director and come to those conclusions together. um, And you'll have a lot of input on that. But as an ensemble, it's all about having those corporate, those group breaths designated. Additionally, um, sometimes you're going to have just a catch breath, something that's just enough to get you more air to get through the end of the phrase. Sometimes you're going to have staggered breathing. So you'll need to notate that like, I'm taking a breath between these two words. And then the other person that's on my part is taking a breath between two other words so that it sounds fluid um, and like nobody's taking a breath. Sometimes that's the choice. 
So those are some of the options that you might be notating. The way that you notate it is just by doing a check mark or an apostrophe. Um, an apostrophe is like the official music designated symbol for a breath mark, but a lot of times singers do check marks because it's nice and big and they can see where they need to breathe without having to um, look very hard at the sheet music. The other side of this, when to take a breath, is also notating when not to take a breath because sometimes the effect that the conductor is going for is total fluidity and you don't want, I mean, even stagger breathing, they're saying, no, we're not doing that. It's not necessary right here, but we still don't want a breath. And what I'll do for that, since you're not taking a breath and writing a check mark, just use a slur mark between the two words um, to show that you're not taking a breath. Or sometimes you'll see in music, a lot in choral music, you'll see NB, no breath written in. So you can also do that. For me, I like to use the slur because it really is a visual cue to keep singing. All right, number two, the second thing that you're going to want to start marking and writing in your score, vowels, especially on sustained notes. So if you're singing, um, let's look at like Sunday in the park. Let's see. Sunday. This is a song that has a lot of sustained pitches. And what the director, the conductor is going to do is tell you exactly what vowel shape they want on those sustained pitches. And this is so important because that's what's going to keep the ensemble in tune with each other. Intonation is very often just a matter of having the same vowel shape of your mouth, of your mouth, excuse me. So if I'm saying Sunday, was that the right pitch? Sunday, that A is usually in a choral setting turned more into an E, an E-H, Sunday, and then you put the Y at the end. So things like that, if they were like, if I were to say I want Sunday to be E-H, then above the sustained note, I would put E-H just to remind myself that that's the the mouth shape I'm supposed to have. And then at the end of that bar, wherever the cutoff is, I would put the Y of Sunday. Like that's my release, if that makes sense. I'm getting sort of gravelly sounding. Sorry, guys. So vowels on sustained notes, just write in whatever they tell you the vowel is supposed to be. Oftentimes it's ah. Um, so if you're using something like night and we're sustaining it, we want night. So you want the ah rather than night right? The E. So it happens a lot on diphthongs, but sometimes we just need a reminder of what it is. Even if it's not a diphthong and we all know what the vowel is, sometimes we just want to remember exactly what it is. We don't want to um, rely on our, our, our memory when we're just reading the lyrics. We actually want a physical notation. So write in what that vowel is. You're also going to want this on shorter length words, not just sustained words, when there's an ambiguity about what the vowel could be. Um, like a word like, if we keep going in Sunday in the park, um, or Sunday is just the name of the song, uh, through, what are those pitches? Through a perfect park. And perfect could also be perfect, right? Through a perfect park. Or is it through a perfect park? It, it's not designated on the sheet music. It just says the word per perfect. So it's really whatever sound the music director wants you to do. 
I would say they're probably going to go listen to the original broadcast uh, Broadway cast recording, which is what I would do, see what that choice is and stick with it because Paul Gemignani, who is um, Sondheim's go-to MD, is going to make some really nice choices. And also, obviously, Sondheim worked on that recording himself. But sometimes the music director will make a slightly different choice. So write that down. Another kind of funky word that comes up in this song when they say um, through arrangements of shadows. Through arrangements of shadows. And is it arrangements? 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 Through arrangements of shadows or through arrangements of shadows. They all have a slightly different sound. I would say eh, ments, arrangements, I think is the go-to one. But the MD has to tell you because everybody's going to have their own sort of default way that they say the word. And it needs to be designated what way you're all going to do it together. Because that's what's going to make it sound professional and beautiful and in tune. All right. So number one, you're going to do your breath marks. Number two, you're going to mark any vowels that the MD is telling you about. Number three, essential marking you need to put in are consonants. So within this same song, uh, well, first of all, put your consonants, especially if there are ones that they want you to accent a little bit because it's at the end of a word. Um, they want you to land it nice and strongly for the cutoff. So just cir- I always just circle the consonant in the lyric, and then I'll put that consonant again where the cutoff happens. Uh, So that's one idea you can do. But the other element with consonants is there are multiple ways to say things. Again, when we speak, we don't, we say things so fast, we don't even pay attention. Um, But let's see, after you say, on the green, purple, yellow, and grass, let us pass. That was the wrong rhythm. Let us pass. Is it let us, duh, let us with a D sound or is it a hard T? Let us, let us, like let us, like lettuce, the uh, the food, right? So that that is a decision. Is it going to be let us with a hard T or is it going to be let us with a D sound? And you would need to either circle that T in the word let if it's going to be a hard T or write a D over it so that you know you're changing that. These are such fine points. You might think, I mean, maybe you've not been in a situation where somebody's giving you this fine detail, um, but these details are what's going to elevate the sound and make it sound so much more clean and professional and sparkling. So you might even, if you're not getting that kind of direction, you might ask in a nice way, not sounding like a know-it-all jerk in rehearsal, but ask, like, do you want a hard T there? Because I'm not sure what to do. And then hopefully they'll give you a choice and then everybody can mark it together. So that's number three. You're going to mark any consonant instructions that they give you. All right. The number four marking that you could be putting in are cutoffs. Okay. I do this all over my sheet music. Again, sometimes the, well, even if you have rests and you know, like you're holding a note for three beats, one, two, three, and then on beat four, you're going to put the closing consonant of your word through our perfect part. And you're going to put the K on beat four. Um, put that K where the rest is on beat four. Be very specific about what that cutoff is. 
Or if this is a moment where like two measures, you're having to put a breath in because there's not a rest, you need to know when are we cutting off the previous word so that we can breathe. Sometimes they'll just put it like they'll give you a full beat rest. Sometimes they'll give you a half a beat rest. So be very specific if they're adding in any sort of cutoffs that you know exactly what beat you're cutting off on and you're actually writing in what that new rhythm looks like in your measure. Okay. Kind of dovetailing on this, the fifth thing that you can be writing in are any tricky rhythmic um any, tr- tr- any measures with tricky rhythms and actually writing out one and two and three and four and or whatever, if it's in two, two, you know, one and two and or something like that. But write out the subdivision of where um, the beats would be and then see how they line up with what your melody really is. So if you can identify where those one, two, three, where the main beats in the measure are, then you're going to see where your part either lines up with that or it's syncopated. If you've got 16th notes, those are often kind of tricky and we have to be very specific right in, you know, one and a two and a three and four, if it's, if that's what your rhythm is and be able to speak it, be able to chant it and then be able to sing it. So write down rhythmic counts for tricky um, measures within the song. If you're not sure how to do that rhythm or how to write it out, ask your conductor. Or if you know somebody else that reads music really well, you can ask them. Um, Just maybe get a second opinion on that to make sure that they're giving you the right breakdown of those rhythms. All right, let's go on to number six. The sixth thing you should be doing. Um, This is an element that you might just be circling. Okay, the element is dynamics. So if you're singing piano or forte, mezzo piano, or crescendo, decrescendo, If those are written into the score, do them as written on the page. You can circle them if you feel like that helps you see them more because they stand out now. But I will also say sometimes songs don't have very many dynamic instruction uh, instructions. And so the the conductor really is adding a lot to help create shape and to create um, you know, an energetic movement throughout the piece. So make sure that you're writing down any additional dynamics that the conductor is giving you. That is a huge one, especially things that are um, subtle, like sometimes you'll get a decrescendo at the end of a line. I'm looking for an example in Sunday right now. Uh, Here we go. Through arrangements of shadows shadows is on beats one and and because the emphasis is on shad in that word the syllable is the first syllable is emphasized o's naturally diminuendos a little bit so sometimes the conductor will specify like hey make sure that that's that word kind of tapers and so you just write in a little diminuendo sign a little sideways carrot through arrangements of shadows yeah, or, or if you're sustaining a long word and there's no diminuendo, but they want that, you can add that diminuendo on it. But oftentimes there's like a little taper that is stylistically right that they don't write in the sheet music. They're just giving you the two eighth notes and they're expecting you to know how to add that flavor. But as an ensemble, you can't just go making your own choices about what you're going to add and what you're not going to add. It really has to come from the conductor. 
I'm going to have a little sip of my water here. Okay, so dynamics. That was number six. Number seven. Okay, this is a big one. Now we're getting into um, bigger picture things. Tempo changes. We're used to tempo changes like retardando, meaning you're slowing down, or accelerando, you're speeding up. Um, ritenudo, that's another one. Sometimes people aren't as familiar with ritenudo. It's also slowing down. Rollentando, these are all slowing down words. But there's all sorts of tempo changes, especially in musical theater, where songs are constantly shifting in style to either tell the story or to build. If you're in a dance number, there's a lot of tempo changes usually and feel changes like with a rhythmic change. So be looking for those markings in the score, circle them. And if you don't know what they mean, because they're in Italian, usually look them up. But sometimes the conductor will also give you additional things about tempo. Like for this section, we're going to push forward. There's nothing on the page that says push forward, but they just know that that's what they want to do. When I'm writing that in, I draw like an arrow over that measure and that's facing to the right, which is telling me like, hey, we're moving forward here. But in general, I would say the most useful thing you can do is look up the tempo markings that are already written in. Here are some examples. Tempo primo, that's prime tempo, the first tempo. So you, the tempo you started the song at, you're returning to it, okay? You'll see that all over. Look for tempo primo. Tempo giusto, stringendo, listesso tempo, maestoso, con moto. These are all specific interpretations of what to be doing with the tempo. And you've got to know what they are as a singer. Again, just look it up on Google. It's not hard. Like look up music dictionary and what those mean and then write them into your score if you don't quite have them memorized or under your belt. And then as you're singing the song with your with your ensemble, with the cast, whatever it is, um, you'll start to feel what that means and then you'll be able to anticipate it in other songs as they come up, okay? Again, you're always going to watch your conductor. You're always going to watch their baton and do the tempo that they're giving you, but you should be able to anticipate what's coming as a performer. All right, so that was number seven. Circle your tempo changes and make sure you look them up so that you know the words, uh, know what they mean, excuse me. Number eight, okay, this is an advanced concept. You're going to make notes about the relation of your part to everybody else's part. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes when you're learning a song, you know, you're in four-part harmony, sometimes all of a sudden it's everybody in unison. And that's not always marked on the score. In choral music, it's marked sometimes, but in musical theater, it's usually not marked when everybody is unison. So I would make a note in that measure or for these three notes, it's unison because otherwise you're going to be fishing around for a harmony, right? You're going to be thinking, why am I singing the same thing as that soprano over there? Like I'm an alto. Mark those unison moments, or if it's with men, it'll be in octaves, right? Or if you're a male and it's with women, there'll be an octave above you, but it'll feel like you're all singing the same part. That's important information. You know, write that part and you may not 
get a specific direction, like mark this section where you're all in unison. But if you're paying attention when everybody's learning their parts, you'll be able to tell like, oh, that's the same thing I'm doing. I think that's in unison. Look at the notes. Um, You should be able to read pitches. Um, Basically, even if you're not great at being able to sight sing, you should be able to see if the pitches are the same on the page. Okay. Um, And then mark that for yourself. Other things that you might mark, um, if you have the melody, sopranos most of the time get like dibs on the melody, but sometimes the melody goes into an inner part and it becomes an alto or a tenor line or sometimes even bass. So if you all of a sudden are taking over the melody, you should notate that. That's really important. Also, because that melody part often should be slightly louder in the balance of all the parts. So that will help you know how much to blend and how much to come forward with your part. Um, Another thing you can notate about or make a special marking about your part in relationship to other parts is if you have a moving part while everybody else is sustaining. This is a big one. I always tell people, I'm like, you're the moving part. Okay, you have sometimes maybe it's a suspension or it's eighth notes when everybody else has quarter notes. If you're that part, you're the most interesting thing happening in the music at that moment. You're the only thing moving and changing. So bring that part out. That is a default sort of instruction. Now, if your conductor says, make that more subtle, then you have to write that part too. But in general, Know when you're doing the thing that's different and maybe circle that part or just write bring out or moving part so that you know how how you line up with everything around you. Okay. All right. And our very last element, this is number nine, the number nine rehearsal mark you should be putting in. This is my favorite. And this comes from being in orchestra and band. So if you're an instrumentalist, you've written this a million times, I'm sure. It's just a little pair of eyeglasses. Eyeglasses just mean look at the conductor, look up. Something is happening here where they want you to specifically be watching them for instruction. Some reasons that often come up are if it's a dictated moment. So when they bring their hands down, everybody's striking a big chord together and then they cut you off and then you're just waiting until they dictate another strong downbeat. Okay. That's sometimes what happens, you'll see dictated, written into your score, and then you have to like be, oh, I need some eyeglasses to look at my conductor. Another reason you might have to watch the conductor, if it's a fermata, and you're holding as long as they designate, and then you're watching them for a cutoff. Another reason you might be watching the conductor is if it's a cesura, or what you may more commonly call railroad tracks. So everybody in the orchestra has stopped, there is silence, The song's not over. It's just a pause in the song. And then you're watching the conductor for when to come back in. So all of those, I would say, are little eyeglass moments where you want to be making sure that your eyeballs are on whoever is either at the piano or conducting in the orchestra pit. Okay, so that's it. Those are the nine markings. I hope this is helpful. This is the the nine marks that you should be putting in your score recap. Number one, put in your breath marks. Number two, write in the vowel choices that you're being instructed to use. Uh, Number three, write in consonants that you need to either accent or um, make a specific interpretation of. Number four, your cutoffs, write in the beat, write in the consonant. 
Number five, write in the rhythmic counts for any tricky measures. Number six, write in your dynamics, circle the ones that are already written in. Number seven, tempo changes, circle ones that are written in already, and then make sure that you write in additional ones that your director gives you. Number eight, write notes about your relationship to the other parts that are happening, unison, melody, moving part, etc. And number nine, eyeglasses. Anytime you need to watch the conductor for dictated moments, fermatas, railroad tracks, or any other reason that you need to be watching them, write in those eyeglasses. Okay, I hope this is helpful. I love talking about this stuff because once everybody's on the same page and doing these things, it's just like a magical elevation of the performance. And it gets like the whole group thinking together about how they should interpret a song. It's so different when you're in an ensemble than when you're singing as a soloist. But all of these same things apply if you are doing a solo or a duet, right? But if you, even if it's just you by yourself, you should know all of this information about your music and your own um, vocal rendition, your old vocal interpretation. All right. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, quick request, scroll to the bottom of this podcast page in iTunes or wherever you're listening and give it a rating. So click the stars. I would say give it a five star, but honest, you know, whatever you want to give it. And then if you have 30 seconds more, click write a review and share a sentence or two about why this podcast is meaningful or helpful to you. Um, This is a great way for other people that are thinking about listening to the podcast to see that it's actually helpful. um, And it's more meaningful when you hear from other listeners what they're really getting out of it. So um, give it a give this show a rating, write a review. That would be super helpful. Also, head over to my website, koryamaoka.com, and sign up for my email community. I send a weekly email with tips and resources for musical theater performing and auditioning. Um, Sometimes it's repertoire ideas. And I promise not to spam you. I respect your inbox and would be honored to get to, you know, continue our conversation there. So that's it for today. I hope you go through your week filled with peace and joy. Stay safe. Be well. I will see you next time right here on Studying the Song. Mm -hmm.